This is the Ministers of the New Covenant radio broadcast. We come to you in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Son of the Most High Yahweh. Tune in each week to hear teachings directly from Scripture, focused upon believing in the Father, His Son, and the holy and righteous law of our Creator. At the end of this broadcast, we will give you the web address whereby you may contact us for further scriptural information. Well, good evening. It's great to be with you for another opportunity to study our Father's Word. And what I'd like to do in this broadcast is go over some of the scriptures that people attempt to use to prove that Yeshua is Yahweh or as it is more commonly said, that Jesus is God Almighty. And in case this is your first time ever listening, I do not believe that the Father and the Son are one and the same. I do not believe that Yahweh is our Messiah. I do not believe that the Heavenly Father or the Almighty or God wrapped himself in a robe of flesh. I believe that's false doctrine. I do not believe that Yeshua is Yahweh. I believe rather that he is the son of Yahweh, exactly what the Father revealed to the Apostle Peter in Matthew 16, 13 through 18, where Yeshua looked right at Peter and said, But who do you say that I am? And Peter being given the revelation by the Father in heaven, this did not come through the teachings of man, he was given the revelation by the Heavenly Father. He looked at Yeshua and he said, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living Elohim. Or the King James will say, the Son of the living God. Yeshua is the Son of Yahweh. The Father revealed it to Peter. That's who I believe that Yeshua is. If you've been following this broadcast, you know that we've been talking a lot about that because it is so extremely important. It's so important that I want to offer a free book to you, almost 200 pages, titled, Who Then Is This? Listen to the rest of this broadcast. I'll mention it again at the end, and I'd like to send this to you free and postpaid for your study. So we want to cover the oneness position in this teaching. So far in teaching about this subject, I have showed scriptural proof that Yeshua is not Almighty Yahweh. In this lesson, I'm going to concern myself with the teaching that believes that Yeshua is the Father wrapped in a robe of flesh. See, the oneness position teaches that Yeshua is both God and the Father. They teach that the Heavenly Father wrapped himself in a fleshly robe and that this robe of flesh is the Son. I do not believe that is consistent with Scripture. I do not believe that's really believing that Yahweh has a son. That's believing that Yahweh disguised himself as the son, but in reality the son was really Yahweh the entire time. That is not believing in a father and a son, as I've tried to labor extensively in the other teachings to show. So, who is the father? That's what we'll start off with. Who is the father? Who does Scripture say is the father? Well, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 63, verse 16, it says this, Doubtless thou art our father, though Abraham be ignorant of us, and Israel acknowledge us not. Thou, O Yahweh, art our father, our redeemer. Thy name is from everlasting. So Yahweh is the father. 
Yet some people claim that this scripture says Yahweh is the father of Israel and not of Yeshua. Well, in that case, we need to note two other verses in the Bible. The first is Hebrews 1 verse 5, which says, For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, and again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now, who said these things? Well, everyone would agree that Yeshua's father said them since he is referring to Yeshua as his son. Hebrews 1.5 is a direct quotation from Psalm 2 verse 7 that we talked about last week, where he says, I will declare the decree, Yahweh hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Now, the first I here refers to Yeshua speaking through prophecy, in which he declares that Yahweh is his father. Now, we've also previously saw in former lessons that Yeshua stated in John 14, 28, My father is greater than I. And this means that he also was saying, Yahweh is greater than I. And thereby he was teaching us that he is not Yahweh. See, anyone who believes that Yeshua is Yahweh must also believe that Yeshua is the heavenly father. And that is even more absurd and more difficult to prove in light of the scriptures. Yeshua did say in John 10 verse 30, I and my Father are one. But does that mean they are the same being? Well, Yeshua said something similar in John 17 verse 22. He said this, And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. See, here again, Yeshua says he and the Father are one, but he also prays later on in the same gospel that his followers will be one in the same sense that he and Yahweh are one. And this is a oneness of mind, purpose, and will, not a oneness of being. I do not deny that the Son's oneness with the Father extends to far more than we as procreated humans could ever achieve. As I presented in past lessons, Yeshua was the begotten son of Yahweh. He came from Yahweh, John 1.18. But this does not mean that he is Yahweh. Even still, the oneness the father and son have is compared to the oneness the disciples and the father could have. And that must be a oneness of purpose and not a oneness of being or person. Who was pierced? Sometimes Zechariah 12 verse 10 is misunderstood due to an apparent misunderstanding within the text. Zechariah 12:10 reads in part, quote, And I, speaking of Yahweh, will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. See, the word me obviously does not identically harmonize with the pronouns him and his that follow it in the text. This same verse is quoted in John 19.37, where we read, And again another scripture saith, They shall look on him whom they pierced. So John thus gives us the correct understanding of this verse. The text in the Old Testament passage is not in error in translation, but we must understand the concept of Yahweh implying that he was pierced. See, during Yeshua's ministry, Yeshua said this, For I was hungry, and you gave me meat. 
I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. He goes on to say, Inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Matthew 25, verse 40. The point that Yeshua is making is this, is when you treated even the least brothers in a good way, you were doing it unto Yeshua. But when you treated the least brothers in a bad way, you were doing it unto Yeshua. And how much more could Yahweh, using that exact same principle, how much more could Yahweh say this concerning the piercing of his only begotten son? In other words, Yahweh is saying, inasmuch as you've pierced my son, you have done it unto me. That's why Yahweh said, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. It's not as though Yahweh is being pierced de facto. It's that through the piercing of his son, you're piercing or rejecting Almighty Yahweh because Yahweh is the one who sent his son. We also have a passage in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, that the oneness proponents like to use. It says this in the King James Version, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, KJV, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now, the majority text of the Greek New Testament manuscripts have kurios, or Lord, here instead of theos, which is translated as God in the KJV. And in that case, Lord would refer to Yeshua, whose blood was shed. And that is a possible understanding of this text, a right understanding. But even if we were to accept the King James Version rendering, it would have to be understood in the sense that parents often refer to their children as their own flesh and blood. In that sense, the blood of Yeshua was the blood of Yahweh's own. And see, both the American Bible Society and the Institute for New Testament Research in Germany, which produces the Nestle Aland Greek text of the New Testament, they both agree that the manuscript evidence supports the reading, the blood of his own, meaning the blood of his own son. In other words, Yahweh Elohim purchased the assembly with the blood of his own son. That's the understanding of the text. What about Jeremiah 23, verses 5 through 6? Uh, Jeremiah 23, 6 is often used by oneness proponents to prove that Yeshua is Yahweh or to sometimes prove that the Messiah's name is Yahweh. It states this, In his days... Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name, whereby he shall be called, Yahweh our righteousness. Now, if this verse teaches that Yeshua is Yahweh, because he is called Yahweh our righteousness, then Jeremiah 33, verse 16, teaches that Jerusalem is also Yahweh. Why? Well, because Jeremiah 33, verse 16 reads, in those days shall Judah be saved, and Jerusalem shall dwell safely. And this is the name wherewith she shall be called Yahweh our righteousness. Now, notice if you have a KJV, the translators did not use the same capitalization in Jeremiah 33 as they did in Jeremiah 23. And I think that it's because they undoubtedly feared that it would suggest that Jerusalem is Yahweh. Now, no doubt, the name Yahweh is applied to Yeshua here at a future time, but that does not make him identical in person with Yahweh, no more than it makes Jerusalem identical in identity with Almighty Yahweh. 
Also, let me point out that Jeremiah 23, 5-6, where it applies the title slash name, Yahweh Tzidkenu, or Yahweh our righteousness, to Yeshua, this is not being fulfilled yet. This is not a passage that is teaching us what the Messiah's name was when he walked upon this earth. His name was Yeshua, that means he will save. This is a passage that applies the title, Yahweh our righteousness, to the Messiah at a point of time in the future when Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. This is talking about the same thing that Ezekiel 37 is talking about, where Yahweh takes the two sticks of Judah and Israel and he forms them into one stick, and they dwell in the land that Yahweh gave to their fathers, speaking of the land that Yahweh promised Abraham that Abraham literally walked upon with his feet. So these two passages, Jeremiah 23 and 6 and Jeremiah 33 and 16, have not been fulfilled, yet neither one of them prove that Yeshua is Yahweh or that Jerusalem is Yahweh, and neither one of them prove that Yahweh our righteousness is the personal name of either Yeshua or of Jerusalem. Yeshua's name is Yeshua. Jerusalem's name, more properly, is Yerushalayim. But they both have this name, Yahweh our righteousness, applied to them in a unique way. Let's move on. A somewhat difficult passage to understand is found in John 12, 37-41, and a superficial reading leads one to believe that the his and the him of John 12, 41 refer to Yeshua, and it ties in with verse 37. For the sake of clarity, though, let me slow down, and I'm going to read this verse, or these verses, designating the speaker as I go along. Listen carefully, or open your Bible, John 12, verses 37 through 38. But though he, Yeshua, had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him, Yeshua, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he, Isaiah, spake, Master, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of Yahweh been revealed? Now, that last portion in John 12 is a quote from Isaiah 53, verse 1. And the arm of Yahweh is a reference that Isaiah makes to the Messiah. I'll get back to that in just a second. But the passage continues with verses 39 through 41 in John chapter 12, where it reads, Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, He, Yahweh, hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I, Yahweh, should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he, Isaiah, saw his, Yahweh's glory, and spake of him, Yahweh. Now, John 12, verse 40, is a quotation from Isaiah 6 and verse 10. John is quoting a second passage from Isaiah to show why they could not believe on Yeshua. It was because Yahweh blinded them. Verse 41 of John 12, therefore, is referring to Isaiah 6, verse 10, not Isaiah 53, verse 1. And in Isaiah 6, 1 through 3, Yahweh is seen in all his glory. That is the glory referred to in John 12, verse 41. It was not the glory of Yeshua. Yeshua is rather the arm of Yahweh 
as Isaiah 53 and 1 prophetically calls him. Now, some people have used the phrase arm of Yahweh to insinuate that Yeshua is Yahweh. But the phrase does not teach that. It is similar to the scriptures that state that Yeshua is at the right hand of Yahweh, meaning that he has a very authoritative position. We could say that Yeshua is Yahweh's, quote-unquote, right-hand man. I touched on this last week in Psalm 110, verse 1, where Yahweh speaks to a lesser Lord and invites him to come sit thou at my right hand until I make all your enemies a footstool for your feet. What about preparing the way of Yahweh? Since John the baptizer preceded or came before Yeshua, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, and Matthew chapter 3, verse 3, are sometimes used to prove that Yahweh is Yeshua. Well, in Isaiah 40, verse 3, we read this, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of Yahweh, make straight in the desert a highway for our Elohim. Now, of all the New Testament verses that quote the prophet Isaiah, Luke chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, aids our understanding because it includes Isaiah 40, not just verse 3, but Isaiah 40, verses 4 through 5. It says this, As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of Yahweh, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of Yahweh. See, prepare ye the way of Yahweh does not mean move out of the way because Yahweh is coming. And so when Yeshua comes, then you have to believe he is Yahweh. That's not what prepare ye the way of Yahweh means. You have to look at the text in Luke especially that quotes Isaiah. How was this way to be prepared? Well, it was to be prepared by filling the valleys, leveling the mountains, and straightening the paths. And this work is not to be understood literally but spiritually through the humbling of those in exalted positions and the restoration of the truth of Yahweh. The filling of the valleys means exalting the humble. Leveling the mountains means bringing down those that exalt themselves. Straightening the paths means the spiritual narrow way. So who was to do this work of Yahweh, leveling the mountains, filling the valleys, etc.? Well, John 4, verse 34 says, Yeshua saith unto them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. See, Almighty Yahweh appointed his son Yeshua to finish his work. Yeshua was Yahweh's instrument in the accomplishment of Yahweh's great plan. Yeshua is the messenger of the covenant. He is the servant of Yahweh. He is the salvation of Yahweh. And John 14, verse 6, Yeshua calls himself the way. He says, I am the way the truth, and the life. And so he literally is the way of Yahweh. That's what the text means when it says, prepare ye the way of Yahweh. Yeshua is the way of Yahweh. He is the means through which Yahweh will finish his work. Let's move along. There are many oneness books, tapes, and tracts that try to explain the relationship between the Father and the Son by saying that Yahweh manifested himself in the fleshly form of Yeshua. Uh, the oneness authors call this concept the incarnation. Now, I want to make it clear that I do not have a problem 
with recognizing or even speaking that Yahweh made himself known in the person of his Son. That does not mean that the Son is Yahweh. That does not mean that the Son is the Father. That does not mean that Yahweh wrapped himself in a robe of flesh like many false teachers teach on television and radio today. That simply means that Yahweh chose to make himself known to some capacity in some way through the person of his Son. These oneness people that try to make more out of that, they do rightfully disregard the word Trinity because the word is not found in the scriptures, but yet they exalt this other unscriptural term, incarnation. And perhaps it is because they are misled by the translation of 1 Timothy 3.16 in the King James Version, which is incorrect. It says there that God was manifest in the flesh. But there is a footnote on that verse in the emphatic diaglot that reads, quote, Nearly all ancient manuscripts and all the versions have he who instead of God in this passage, end of quote. Now, this is what is known as a textual variant in the manuscripts of the Greek New Testament. You'll find that most versions of the Bible translate the Greek into English in 1 Timothy 3.16 as he instead of God because they feel he is the better rendering based upon the ancient Greek New Testament text. Uh, one particular author stated the following concerning the translation God in 1 Timothy 3.16. Uh, this is found in the Erdman's Bible Dictionary, page 557, the 1979 edition. Quote, Neither the noun incarnation nor the adjective incarnate is biblical, but the Greek equivalent of the Latin incarne is found in some important New Testament statements about the person and work of Yeshua the Messiah, or they say Jesus Christ. Thus the hymn quoted in 1 Timothy 3.16 speaks of he who was manifested in the flesh. So the revised version, following the true text, God in the authorized version represents a false reading. End of quote. Uh, this particular variant is also spoken of by Professor George Howard when he states, quote, Bruce Metzger explains that variant readings are often to be traced to the similarity of Greek letters or words. An example is 1 Timothy 3.16 where some manuscripts read, who was manifested in the flesh, others read, God was manifested in the flesh. In ancient unsealed script, who and the abbreviation for God were similar in appearance. End of quote. Now, when we consider these references, let us ask ourselves this question. Who does the rest of the Bible say appeared in a body or was revealed in the flesh? Well, 1 John 3, 5 and 8 says, and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. For this purpose, the Son of Elohim was manifested. First uh, Peter 1, 18-21 also states, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, but with the precious blood of the Messiah. It goes on to say this, Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. So clearly, the rest of the Bible shows that it is the Son spoken of in 1 Timothy 3.16. To be manifest simply means that the Son was revealed in the last times. Manifest does not mean, as some people suppose, that a heavenly being came down de facto at a certain time and then wrapped himself in some kind of fleshly robe. It doesn't mean that at all. 
Now, if the incarnation theory were factual, would Yahweh continue to manifest himself as Yeshua even after the millennium? First uh, Corinthians 15, 24 through 28, and Revelation 22, verse 1, show both Yahweh and Yeshua as separate beings after the millennium kingdom, after the 1,000-year reign. See, the truth is that they are not parts of one being, but they are two separate and distinct beings. That is why Yeshua could say what he did in John 8, 17 through 18, where he said, It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one that bears witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. So Yahweh and Yeshua are two separate beings, not two manifestations of one sole being. When the scriptures are accepted, brothers and sisters, without reading anything in the text, more than what it says, the relationship between the two becomes very, very clear. But in spite of this, many people are not satisfied with Yeshua's rank in heaven. They feel that they have to exalt him to the number one position, to that position of Yahweh Almighty, and they will twist the scriptures in a variety of ways to accomplish this. Uh, for instance, oneness proponents believe that Yeshua was simply just a robe of flesh covering the Father, rather than Yeshua being a genuine man with a spirit of his own, yet having the spirit of Yahweh in him without measure, as John 3.34 says. But the Bible tells us that Yeshua had his own spirit. In Mark 2.8, Mark 8.12, Luke 2.40, and Luke 23.46, the Bible teaches that Yeshua had his own spirit. Yeshua was more than just a fleshly coat. He was a real man, like you and I, just on a much greater scale, as he was Yahweh's only begotten Son, in whom Yahweh's fullness dwelt, Colossians 2, verse 9. When Yeshua commended his spirit to the Father, in Luke 23, 46, there dying on the torture stake, it was similar to Stephen's words in Acts chapter 7, verse 59, where Stephen says, And they stoned Stephen, calling upon and saying, Master Yeshua... Receive my spirit. See, when a man dies, his spirit returns to Yahweh that gave it, according to Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7. Now, here in Acts chapter 7, verse 59, you'll notice that I did not read the word God. And this is because the word theos, the Greek rendering of God, is not found in any Greek manuscript. The King James Version even shows this to be true by even placing the word in italics in its translation. Commentator Adam Clark states on this point in his commentary of Acts 7.59, quote, The word God is not found in any manuscripts or version, nor in any of the primitive fathers except Chrysostom. It is not genuine and should not be inserted here. The whole sentence literally reads thus, and they stoned Stephen, invoking and saying, Lord Yeshua, or he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. See, Adam Clark's commentary goes on by saying that because Stephen was calling on Yeshua, praying to Yeshua, that this is evidence of Yeshua being Yahweh. But such does not have to be assumed in the reading. See, Stephen was simply speaking to his mediator. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, talks about Yeshua being the one mediator between man and the one Almighty. Yahweh had given Yeshua, after his resurrection, all authority in heaven and in earth. So Yeshua, therefore, had the authority to be the judge of the living and the dead. He had the authority to, obviously, receive 
the spirit of men, as Stephen calls upon him to receive his spirit. The point I want to try to make here, though, in this text, on top of all this other, is that when Yeshua commended his spirit to Yahweh at the end of Luke 23, he was commending his own spirit. He was a flesh and blood human being. I've got to stop right there because my time is quickly fading away. But I would like to offer you a free book, free and postpaid. It is titled, Who Then Is This? As a matter of fact, this broadcast tonight was taken out of one of the chapters in this book. This book is almost a 200-page document that talks about Yeshua being the son of Yahweh and not Yahweh. And I'll give it to you free of charge if you just listen to the contact information at the end of this broadcast. I love you. I appreciate you. Hopefully you'll continue to study our Father's Word on this very important subject. You've been listening to the Ministers of the New Covenant radio broadcast. Our website is ministersnewcovenant.org. That's ministersnewcovenant.org. Please visit our website where you will find hundreds of audio sermons as well as videos, books, and articles explaining various doctrines in the scriptural faith. For questions, you can also call 678-347-6240. That's 678-347-6240. Thanks for listening, and according to His will, may Yahweh richly bless.